Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. These days, having versatile clothing you can wear anywhere is a must. That's why American Giant makes all sorts of versatile any-weather staples, hoodies, jackets, and more. Whether you're buying a gift or stocking your closet, you'll find just what you need. And it's all made right here in the USA. Find your new wardrobe staples at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your order when you use code AnyStyle24 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com. Promo code AnyStyle24. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Take a breath. Feel it bloom in your chest. Hold it until your lungs are screaming. When you breathe in again, you'll taste the air like it's the very first time. Sweet and desperate. Welcome back to Spirit Box Radio.
dear faithful listeners, welcome back to the Spirit Box Radio Enlightenment segment. As yet a work in progress, but aren't we all? I have something really interesting to share with you all, faithful listeners. I decided it was probably a good idea to start to clear through some of the stuff in the desk in the studio. The drawers were absolutely rammed full of stuff. Most of it was rubbish, quite literally, actually. There were about 200 receipts. There were a few small bones, bleached in the sun and dry under my fingertips. Each one had a tiny carving on it, a different number of lines. The miniature femur of some tiny monkey laid flat in my palm and I could almost feel the trembling warmth of the thing it once belonged to. I found a small notebook, crammed with hand-pressed flowers. The name in the front was written in blue biro. It said Molly Marie Enfield. So, maybe it's Ems, but I didn't know her first name was Molly. I wonder if... Did I even know her at all? Anyway. Perhaps it's a distant cousin. I don't know. Most exciting, though, faithful listeners, is this really old letter I found. I think Madame Marie wrote it. I recognise her handwriting. It's in an unmarked envelope and it's clearly really old. It looks like it was sealed at one time and there's a little line in black ink where she started to write a name or an address or something on the front but then stopped for whatever reason. Inside the envelope is a letter. I thought a really long time about whether or not to look at it. I hate to pry. I know Madame Marie liked her privacy. So I was just going to put it in the box with the bleached bones and the other bits and pieces I'm going to keep, but then I thought, what if it's just a blank piece of paper, a letter about the bills or something really bad and I'm putting in this box of memories that's supposed to be good and something to look at when I feel it. (sighs) When I feel. Anyway, so I decided that I should read it. And once I did, I realised I needed to share it with you, faithful listeners. Here's what it says. I've thought long and hard about whether to write this letter. What it might constitute if I do. I work hard, I know, I work hard. I'm trying to follow your footsteps, Grandma, but I will never be the witch you once were. The shop is dying around me, I can feel it. The friendly miasma of good energy you manifested here over your long, long years is lifting and leaving behind dusty shelves and herbs that crumble to dust when I touch them. I'm at a loss. I'm aching. I don't know what to do. I can tell you almost anything you could want to know about the arcane. How it can manifest in good faith in the right conditions, but under the wrong ones, it infests, infects, corrupts, like mould between tiles. It blooms and spreads, without moral virtue or malice. It simply is as it always was, and has, and always will. It is in this sense that it's like water, necessary for life, refreshing and beautiful and utterly divine, but you can still drown in it, and it can still be used as torture, and over time it will wear even the biggest rock down to sand. I know there is arcane energy everywhere. I know it's a part of me, and I'm a part of it, and I'm a part of an infinite spool of infinite threads, or an impossible weave of so many threads it's impossible to understand the connections. I know I am a part of this world, and it is a part of me, and there is a place for me in it, and the place is here as I am, present but functionally useless, 
able to advise, but never able to practice. Doomed to be inches away from the thing I want most. Within spitting distance, but bound implicitly to never get even slightly closer. I want what you had. What I saw you had when you danced at the edge of the solstice fire, bare and beautiful in the orange glow of the depths of the moonless night. I want to feel the power move through me the way I saw it move through you. But it never comes. And so I hope you will forgive me. You taught me to listen and be still. You taught me to hear the creatures thrumming invisibly all around me. How to see things that are only very slightly there. How to let the arcane come far enough into the real to be glimpsed, even touched. So I know you will not understand what I have to do. I have to save this place that you loved so much because you are gone now and it's all of you I have left. If I just sit here and know my place, my home, your home, it will die around me. I can feel it. I can feel it drawing the final shuddery breath that will make the rattle of death. And I can't let it be. I cannot. I know I am supposed to. I know it's what you would have wanted me to do. I know in bigger, cosmic ways, you are not gone. You are simply all around, like the arcane always is, returned to it as you should be. But I am not as great or as good as you. I never was. And for all your lessons, you could never teach me enough to make me your true successor. And I think for all of the love you poured into me, you knew that because you could really listen. You must have seen who I really am and what I would do if it came to this. And you must have known that it would come to this. You always did know. So I have to think you will forgive me for what I'm going to do. Not because it's right or I'm entitled to your grace or anything like that, but because I have to believe that in some way you knew I would do this. Otherwise, why would you give me the little book of big magic at all? Couldn't you see how it's a guide to greatness? Isn't arcanism about give and take anyway? Isn't it about learning there is always a price for power? So you must have known I'd be willing to pay whatever charge to let me be worthy of your legacy, Grandma, or you wouldn't have given me the book, would you? I'm sorry, Grandma. I love you. The reason I had to share this with you, faithful listeners, is because of what it says about the little book of big magic. A guide to greatness. I always thought it was more of a funny little textbook, but of course, I didn't realise until last week that so much of my copy was missing. And the funny thing is, I'm pretty sure that the copy that Madame Marie must have been using is this one, which, according to this letter, means it's the same copy that she was given by her grandma. Madame Marie never spoke to me about her grandma, but it seems from this letter that she was some kind of powerful witch, and she owned a shop. And Madame Marie was supposed to take it over when she died, but... She apparently wasn't a very good witch. 
Which is funny because, well, Madame Marie is the most renowned arcanist in the Northern Hemisphere. To such an extent that some people think that she was a fake or a liar because she could make such powerful and accurate predictions. Could she have had that much self-doubt? But the thing is, it's talking about a price of some kind, a bargain. And naturally, I suppose, that made me think of the man in the flat cap and the idea of some kind of arcane bargain. And then I remembered the letter Madame Marie received some weeks ago from her friend Nagisa. In that letter, Nagisa said that Madame Marie was nothing like they expected her to be. They also said her reputation was rapidly growing, like she'd risen out of obscurity. Like, maybe, I don't know, at some point Madame Marie was as useless as I was at Arcanism, and then all of a sudden wasn't, and it was a bit of a shock. I've heard other people saying things like that, that Madame Marie came out of nowhere, that she was a nobody, and then all of a sudden she's a rising star, making a fortune. But whatever happened to that fortune, I have no idea, because we certainly don't have it now. Madame Marie moved all of what she had in her bank account into mine shortly before she... Before. And it's enough to live off for a few months, but not much more. We own this house, but it's crumbling and cold, and there is damp rising in the walls, and I just... I don't understand. If she made so much money, where did it go? And why did she stop making predictions if it was really so lucrative? I don't know. It's not really important, I suppose. The main thing is that some things about Nagisa's letter and this letter Madame Marie wrote for her deceased grandma, they, they line up in ways that are strange, to say the least. And the funny thing is, well, I don't know. I've been avoiding this, but I don't think I can afford to any longer. I think that <sighs> I have decided that I will try again to look into the crystal ball. I just, I need to see what happens when I do. I know it went so badly last time, but I have to know what happens if I try because, because I don't know. If this is me, if I can do things, if Madame Marie was wrong or lying about, well, I don't know what it means, except that maybe I can find out what happened to her. And even if I can't, even if it just doesn't work and I really don't have any power and all of these things that keep happening to me are just accidents or coincidences, which of course they probably are because when have I ever been able to do anything? But, you know, if the crystal ball was what Madame Marie used to make her predictions and it was part of some kind of deal, maybe it can help me understand why. Why she? And what happened to her? And remember that the idea here is that I will look at it and we'll deal with what happens together, you see? That way, I know I'm, I'm at least trying to put the pieces together, if you understand me. Useless as I am, I can at least try. I owe her that. Right then. No, no, I can't, I can't do it. Hello, Revel, darling. I'm sorry. Did I disturb you with my fussing? I know, I know. Come up, there's a, there's a beautiful boy. Look at you. Your obsidian majesty. What a glorious beast you are. Goodness me. Let me see. Ah, the beans. Oh, faithful listeners. He has gifted me with a brief squish of his beans. 
All right. Thank you, Revel. You magnanimous lord. <sighs> okay, right, like ripping off a plaster. Athelina in the kitchen, her hair in a long plait. Athelina who gathered flowers in the meadow and cast circles made of stones. Athelina in the early morning, grey light pouring through the window, half fogged with steam. Athelina who watched the stars and birds and plotted the future and their tides and currents. Athelina. She's cold. She should have put on a shawl. There is a knock at Athelina's back door. She looks up from the oatmeal she is tending on the stove and sees the shape of a man almost obscured by the misted glass. Lella, the eldest of Athelina's daughters, scrapes the legs of a chair and gets up from the table and Athelina's grip on the spoon tightens. She cannot see the face of the man outside, but she can feel his gaze. Don't, says Athelina. But he knocked the door, says Lella. Lella, sit back down now, she says firmly. She glances over at her children, all four of them gathered around the table. Take your sisters into the other room, she says in a low voice. But you said, Lella begins, now! Athelina poses the partition door before opening the one into the garden. It's shadowy outside. She can see the sun on the lawn. The man is wearing a hood and a thick black coat with gloves. This isn't a good time, she tells him. He draws back his hood, his eyes shifty, indistinct like storm clouds. He takes the flat cap off his head and stoops in an imitation of a bow. The children, he asks. They're fine, she answers. The man in the flat cap nods. Athelina glances over her shoulder. Anything you require, he asks, cocking his head to one side as she shifts uncomfortably, her hand still on the door. He doesn't try to step into the house, his feet remaining rooted to the ground in their heavy leather boots. Nothing, she tells him, and then forces a smile. He smiles back at her. She cannot look at him too long. It makes her shake. She grips the edge of the door in order to stay upright. Oh, Athelina, I assure you my well-being is nothing you ought to bother yourself worrying over, he tells her smoothly. She looks at his face. I don't, she tells him. He smirks. He draws up his hood again. We'll see, he tells her. Athelina clears her throat. Yes, asks the man in the flat cap. I was waiting for you, but you shouldn't have come, she tells him. He tilts his head, so his face is visible to her again, to show her one of his eyebrows is raised. You needn't wait. I always come when you seek me, whenever it is that you truly do. Athelina raises her chin, unable to focus. She grips the edge of the door, so tightly her knuckles scream in pain, but she doesn't let go. Don't hurt my children, 
she whispers. Hurt them, says the man. He runs a weathered hand over his thinning hair. Never. Athelina thinks back to the day when the man first came. All four of the girls sweating with sickness. The stink of it oozed from the walls themselves. Athelina could feel it in her own bones too. They would all be dead by the end of the week. The whole village would be gone. In the night, she heard the wailing of those passing, agonised between the desperate breaths of her own dying children. Athelina was too sick, too delirious to remember what the man had said to her, only that he took her hand and she remembered the cool relief of it against her fevered palm. She tried to tell him to go. He had to leave or he would get sick too. He told her that wasn't so. He pulled her to her feet. He said he could save the children if she would just do this one thing for him. Anything, she whispered, anything to spare them. He took out a flask and told her to drink from it. The liquid inside was warm, slightly thick, oddly oily and tasted like coins. Athelina gagged. Drink it all, the man urged. Athelina drank, retching, coughing between gulps until the flask was empty. The man laughed. The pieces of what came next were fragmented. Shards of memory spliced together like a poorly repaired plate. Pain, swirling colour, the sound of a raging storm, the cries of a newborn infant, and then... Nothing. Silence. Quiet. So deep, Athelina swore she had died. And then... Birdsong. She sat up, her children rousing around her, rubbing their eyes. They walked through the village, hand in hand. Every other resident was dead. Mama! It's Lala. Athelina turns back into the house. Go back into the other room, Athelina hisses. Lala pouts but disappears behind the other door again. Athelina turns back to the doorstep. It's empty, of course. No. Not entirely empty. Athelina stares at the petals of a rose. They catch on a breeze that is not there in the stiff chill of the morning. They rise and twist, and then, without even a puff of smoke, they are gone. Athelina stares at the petals of a rose. Athelina, who drank what she was given. Athelina, who knew there was a price but did not know what it would be. Athelina, in the kitchen, as the oatmeal burns. Athelina. Athelina. Hello. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> oh. I know. Odd, isn't it? At least it is for me. Maybe not you. Maybe not Alpha. Ah. Oh, it makes me feel so dizzy. 
It's hard to describe the sensation, faithful listeners. It's like becoming deeply, impossibly engrossed. The edge of a sticker raised on a bottle, begging to be picked up. A very good book, or mm, no, maybe not one that's even very good, just so engrossing that you have to finish it, even if only to prove to yourself that everything you assumed was right. It's like standing at the edge of something very high up in the air with all the urge to jump and none of the sixth depths in your stomach that makes you take a step back. Things were, or at least they seemed old. I don't recognise anyone and the woman, Athelina, it was as though I became her and saw what she saw, felt what she felt. When she remembered the sickness, I shivered. When she recalled walking through the village, I felt the warm press of her daughter's hands in my palms, fearful as they walked past the festering pits and corpses that lay in the street as though discarded. It was vivid, it was interesting, but it wasn't... I don't know, it didn't seem useful. Like, why do that? Why show the vivid recollection of some woman I don't even know who seemed to live centuries ago? I, I just don't understand it. I just wish... I wish things were easier. Sometimes I feel like... Oh, it's so silly. I feel like I want to go home. But I'm here. I'm home. I keep expecting this feeling to go away, but it just doesn't. It doesn't shift or move or change. It just stays there, like this creature inside my chest, scratching at the inside of my ribs. I can't shake it, and I'm scared that... I'm scared that it's a part of me forever now. I want to remember, but I can't. It won't come... And Anna isn't speaking to me, and I don't understand why, but I get this feeling it's because... that she thinks somehow it was me, or because of me, or that I did this. It's eating me like moths on a cardigan. I'm so full of holes. But I don't know, faithful listeners. I just want to go home. <sighs> I know it makes no sense, faithful listeners. I'm sorry. I'm trying. So many of you have questions and I want to be able to answer them, but I, I can't. And I don't think that helped, did it? No, it didn't. Well, faithful listeners, until next week. Remember to check in on the forums if you're planning on communing with the Spirit Box services. With that, I bid you a restful good night. Radio is a podcast distributed by Hanging Sloth Studios under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 Share Alike International License. It was created by me, Pippin Aeromajor, the voice of Sam Enfield. Music is by Maybe Wednesday. 
If you like the show, let us know on Twitter at Hanging Sloths or stop by at our website, hangingsloughstudios.com. If you'd like to help us keep making Spirit Box Radio, you can send us a tip on ko-fi.com forward slash hanging sloths or become a slothling on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hanging studios where you can get early access to episodes plus loads of other great rewards. You can buy merch in our coffee shop or on our spring merch store. Links in the description. Spirit Box Radio is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Tune in. Get spooky. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.